0: Good to see you here at the five o'clock service and um, bring greetings to you from our senior minister, Colin Dye. Um, If you weren't here this morning, uh, he has been ministering at our Kensington Temple Church in Paris, the Temple to Paris. And not only was he ministering in the morning to the French church, but also there is a Romanian church uh, that uses our um, church building there in France. And they have grown from 100 to 700 people in three years. Isn't that amazing? And, of course, with our strong emphasis in our cell missions on Romania, um, it was very exciting uh, for them to hear the news about how we're partnering with them with their own homeland. Well, we are looking at this teaching service at the topic of the ministry of the priesthood of all believers. And last week, we began an introduction by looking at understanding the ministry of our great high priest, Jesus. Today I'm going to be looking at you are part of God's priesthood on earth, and then next week we'll be looking at our priestly ministry to God, and then on the 23rd of March, uh, We're excited to have Dr. R.T. Kendall will be with us for a special uh, at that five o'clock service. And then on the 30th of March, I'll be looking at our priestly ministry to the world. But today, I just want to cover a little bit of ground that we looked at last week about our great high priest, Jesus, and how that applies to us as Christians today. If you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Exodus chapter 19. I want to go through a few scriptures to... Um, establish something with you, with you today. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself." Now, therefore, if you will indeed, my, my, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Here we see the Lord addressing his people of Israel as they've just been brought out in the Exodus from Egypt, and he addresses them, and interestingly, he says to them, not only have I delivered you, but I've got a calling for you. You're going to be a treasure, a special treasure to me amongst all the peoples of the earth, and it's my desire for you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, isn't that interesting that God would speak to the whole nation and say, it's my desire for you to be a kingdom of priests. We know that very shortly, when Moses delivers the law, uh, we're going to have a new priesthood, aren't we? And that priesthood will be limited to one tribe, the Levites. But here we see that God's heart is to have a chosen people that will be his priests and representatives on the earth. Now, if we go to the New Testament, to 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll see these words echoed. 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ and then later on in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen race those that have believed and is saying, Look, you've been called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Now, just keep that in your mind for a while. Not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood. And we're going to come back to that here. Just a few more verses in introduction so that you get a feel of this. If we go to Revelation. We know that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, halfway through, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Here we see we're called to be a kingdom of priests to God if we... Move a little further to Revelation chapter 5. In verse 9, we have the elders praising God and prophesying. And they say, verse 9 of Revelation 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Isn't that wonderful? From every tribe and every nation, not just Israel, but God has brought Himself a people, and not just a people. This people is a kingdom, and they are priests, and they shall reign on the earth. We've got that note again not just priests, but kings, that ruling motif. Again, we're going to come back to that. Now, If we are called as priests, a kingdom of priests to our God, a royal priesthood, as Peter says, then what kind of priesthood are we called to? Are we called to become Levites? Well, Jesus has fulfilled the law, so we can't be in the order of Levi. That can't be what we are called to as believers, Levitical priests. So what order of priesthood, what type of priesthood Are we all called to as believers? And let me just say, every one of us, this isn't speaking about a special order or separation in the church between priests and the laity. Some of you, I know, come from Roman Catholic backgrounds, and you know that in Roman Catholic teaching, you have a special priestly order, don't you? And you have to qualify for that. And, And the priests, according to Roman Catholic teacher, they're the ones that give us access to God. How many of you ever had to sit in a confession box? Got a few Hail Marys, yeah, yeah, and then the absolution. How many of you know the teaching that only the the ordained priests can do the Mass and the sacrifice of the Mass? It's a priestly order, but we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We are all called to be priests. This is the priesthood of all believers. If you're a believer, you're part of this priesthood. Well, what priesthood are we part of? Well, yes, uh, last Sunday I was speaking about the fact that Jesus was a priest, not a priest according to the house of Levite. He came from the house of Judah, but he was a priest according to the order of, can anyone remember? Melchizedek. That's exactly right. Let's just do a reminder um, of that if we go to Hebrews. That's right, Hebrews chapter 5, you're ahead of me as usual. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses." Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does of those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then later on, uh, in that verse, chap- verse 9, it says, And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal life to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, let's go, this is still introduction, let's just go to Hebrews chapter 7. We spent a bit of time there uh, last week where there was a comparison between the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek and the Levite priests. But let's just read chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek... King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then also he is King of Salem, that is King of Peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Let's now go to Genesis chapter four and just remind us of the actual story. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 17, Abraham has just defeated the kings and rescued Lot. After his return from the defeat of Chedroloma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavar, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and he said, "'Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand.' And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything." And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, but take the goods yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. I'll take nothing but what the young man have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And so here, building on what we did last week, we have a picture of the order of Melchizedek, meaning king of righteousness. This priest was not just a priest of the God Most High, but he was also a king. He was also the king-priest of Salem, or Shalom, which means peace, which is actually the place that would become Jerusalem. And so here is a different picture of a priesthood that we are part of. And now I want to go to Acts chapter 15, verse Thirteen, And this is where I think it begins to get interesting today. I've just been recapping on some of the things that we've said. Acts chapter 15 and verse 13. Now, what's happening here in Acts chapter 15? This is the famous council of Jerusalem. And they called it because what had been happening is in Acts chapter 13 and 14, the Gentiles were just getting saved in their hundreds and their thousands. Paul had been slow on the uptake of realizing that he was the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he'd been called to the Gentiles. Uh, In his first missionary trip, he'd been going to the Jews first, going to the Jews first, going to the synagogues first. But there came a point when the Jews began to resist his message where he said, fine, It was necessary to go to you first, but seeing as you are rejecting the message, we're going to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were pleased, and the Gentiles were just coming into the kingdom and getting saved. And Paul came back to his center in Antioch, and he said, you never guess what's happening. The Gentiles are getting saved. Miracles are taking place. God is cleansing their hearts by faith, and they're receiving the Spirit. And everybody got excited except a few. A few legalistic. Jewish Christians, and they say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Well, if these Gentiles have come into the kingdom, then they have to be made disciples by following the law of Moses. We need to circumcise them. They need to start eating the right meats, kosher meats, and they need to follow the law like we've always followed. That's what makes you a Christian, they said. And Paul said, no way, there was a big argument, so they all went up to Jerusalem to settle it. And Peter won the day when he spoke about his experience... ...when he was the first one to lead the Gentiles to faith. In fact, when he was preaching... He didn't even have a chance to make an altar call. They were believing God was cleansing their hearts by faith. How did he know? Because then the Holy Spirit came and baptized them in the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues and, and that convinced them and they said, well, what should we do? We can't withhold the baptism of water from them. Look, they've received the Holy Spirit just like us. Therefore, God must have cleansed their heart. And this is what Peter said, God cleansed their heart by faith. And how should we put on the yoke of of the law that we couldn't even bear? And he stood up in the council of Jerusalem and gave this testimony. And Paul gave testimony about the salvation and even brought a witness with him. He brought Titus with him, who was an uncircumcised believer. That must have put the cat among the pigeons. But he was saved. He was filled with the Spirit And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, summed it up. And this is important why I I, I gave that little introduction. Verse 14, and uh, James says, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the, the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with these words of the prophets agreed, just as written, After this I will return. Now pay attention very closely after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes things known from old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. This is fascinating because James is speaking in a priestly form and he he is recognizing that the Gentiles have come to faith and the big question is, should the Gentiles come under the law? Should they come under the law? And James says, this is what was prophesied by Amos, that I'm going to rebuild the tent of David and that the Gentiles are going to be called by my name. Now, what is the tent, or some translations say tabernacle, of David? Well, the actual Greek word is tent. Tent. And notice that James didn't say, after this I will rebuild the tabernacle of Moses. Or he didn't re- re- refer to the uh, temple of Solomon, or even to the existing temple at that time. But rather he was referring to something called the tent of David. Now, this is important for us because when we go to Amos chapter 9, verse 11, where he was prophesying from, we see a little bit more of a context here, and I'd like to read that to you. Amos chapter 9, there has been, Amos has been prophesying the destruction of Israel, but also he's going to move to its restoration, but there's also a place for the Gentiles. So, Abraham's, uh, sorry, uh, Amos chapter 9. And verse 11, in that day, I will raise up the tent of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and that the remnant of mankind and all nations who are called by my name shall seek the Lord, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So you notice that this restoration of the tent or tabernacle or booth of David that is fallen has got something to do with the Gentiles. The Septuagint Greek translation version that um, James is quoting from says that when this tent is being built up, The remnant of mankind and the nations will be called and seek my name. This is a tent that brings in the Gentiles and the nations. No wonder James quoted it in Acts chapter 15. He said, the Gentiles are coming. The Gentiles are coming to worship the Lord. they are come to seek the Lord. The tent of David is being rebuilt again. And then after the Gentiles have come in, we see in verse 13... We know that according to Romans chapter 11, that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, it'll have a knock-on effect, and there'll also be a restoration of the Lord in Israel, which is prophesied here. So let's ask a little bit more about what is this tent of David. Well, if we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, I mentioned this in passing last week, but I'd like to spend a little bit more time time here, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Now, in 1 Chronicles 12, near the end of it, David is made king. And what's the first thing that David wants to do when he's made king? Make war on the Philistines? um, Throw a celebration and a party for a few years? The first thing which is on David's heart was to bring back the ark into the heart of his people. That was the first thing. And we know that David was a very special man. He was a man that was after God's own heart. We know that when they were looking for someone to help Saul and to soothe him, when the evil spirit came, they found David, 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. And he was two things, skillful in playing and psalms and worship he was a skilled worship leader but he was also a man of war as well and the lord was with him as well he was david was a worshiping warrior a worshiping warrior i'm going to bring this back to the fact that we are a kingdom of royal priests, okay? He was a worshipping warrior. He brought a worship revolution to the people of Israel. Before David, they were just going through the motions. They were were going according to the pattern. But when David came in, his worship was prophetic, spontaneous, inspirational. I mean, he was up on that mountain, worshipping the Lord with those few sheep, praising God worshipping the Lord, nowhere near uh, uh, any of the, the sort of Levitical priesthood. And he brought this worship wave right into the heart of his kingdom. So in verse chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles, he has his first attempt at restoring the ark to its rightful place, he believed, in Jerusalem. And it all went wrong. Uh, They get the ark, and they're they're ready to, he assembles Israel in 1 Chronicles 13, 5, and David and Israel, in verse 8, are celebrating before God with all their might, songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets, and then Uzzah puts out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzar, and he struck him down because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God, and David was offended and greatly distressed and angered with God. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzar, and that place is called Perez Uzzar to this day, and David was afraid of God that day, and he said, how can I bring the ark of God Home to me. So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed Edom the Jittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed Edom in the house three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed Edom all and all that he had. David's purpose to bring the ark home was foiled, and he was distressed, angry frustrated, confused, I believe, because he thought he was doing the right thing. It was the first thing he wanted to do as king, but something happened to prevent the ark return. What happened? The law got in the way. You say, what do you mean? The law got in the way. The Mosaic law got in the way of bringing that ark home. Why? Because a man who was not a Levitical priest put his hand out To to steady the ark, and according to the law of Moses, he had no right to touch the ark. There's also a a secondary message here, that God doesn't need you to steady his ark of glory. I mean, he, he he can deliver his own ark without the use of men from the Philistines, loaded with gold, and he can bring them all back and direct the cattle. You know that story? So that's a secondary thing, but it was the law that had got in the way. And, and, and I think that David was thinking, how can I do this? I'm not of the tribe of Levi. I'm trying to restore the ark to the home, but there's a problem here. I'm not a Levite. I wish to God I was a Levite. I love worshipping the Lord. I've brought a new worship wave. That I've got plans to glory. I love God, and I love worshipping him. My heart's for him. But look, look, this law is getting in the way. What else is going to happen, you know, of judgment? And... He went away and he gets on with defeating the Philistines. But this desire to bring the ark back, I don't believe, ever le- left his heart. Now, I can't prove this, but I think it may be so. That God, in between that time of the first failed bringing back of the ark, and the second time that we'll look at in 1 Chronicles 15, where he successively brought back the ark... I believe that God gave him a powerful revelation and I believe that that powerful revelation was Psalm 110 and I wonder if you would turn with me to that. Psalm 110. Powerful, prophetic revelation that came to David about priesthood. Psalm 110. The Lord after the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment amongst the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And I believe that as he received this revelation, David prophetically saw it. True, he was not a priest in the order of the house of Levi, but I think he saw it. He was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, just like we are as believers. I believe he saw that. Now, later on, it's interesting, Jesus would refer to this very passage and he would say, who were they talking about? Who were they?" When the Lord said to my Lord, Were they talking about David? And he would refer that passage to himself, acknowledging that he was the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But nevertheless, I believe what we're about to see next is a manifestation of this revelation that David understood that he was a a priest in the order of Melchizedek, so he could bring the ark home but in a different way than the Levites might do it. And this is interesting because Melchizedek, king of righteousness, David's the king. He's not only the king of righteousness, he thinks back to his ancestor Abraham, and he thinks, this priest, he was king of Salem. I am king of Salem. I'm king. I've just become king of Salem or Jerusalem, king of peace, king of righteousness, priest. I'm in Jerusalem. I think I can go back and get that ark. And so when we go back now to um, 1 Chronicles, where we left off, let's see what happens and see if there's any picture of David being in the order of Melchizedek or doing any priestly function. Well, 1 Chronicles 15, this worshipping warrior. David built houses for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the Ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Ah, this is what we were reading in Acts as James summed up the situation that presented them with the inbringing of the Gentiles. Here's the tent that was being spoken about by Amos when he said it would be restored and it would bring the gatherings of the Gentiles to seek the Lord and then eventually the restoration of Israel. Here it is, David prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites might carry the ark, wise choice, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord to minister him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he would prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and all the others. And then verse 11, he summoned Zadok. And then let's move on to where the action gets going. Verse 25. Actually, yeah, okay. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of obed edom with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, a linen ephod, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark. Stop a second. Can you see this? He is dressed in priestly garment. Priestly gar- the Levites are dressed in priestly garment. That's one, Le- That's one priestly order, the Levitical. But somebody else is wearing a linen ephod, a priestly garment, who is not of the order of, Le- of Levi. It's David. David was clothed with a linen ephod, as also were the Levites who were carrying the ark, And the singers and and Chenaniah and the leader of the music of singers and David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting. Just imagine this. I'm going to go into detail prophetically at the seven o'clock. But man, they're bringing up the ark with shouting, not talking, shouting. There are horns being blown, trumpets, cymbals. Loud music, harps and lyres, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window, couldn't believe what she was seeing, and saw David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it and they burnt burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. What an amazing picture. Bringing the ark home. Two orders, the Levitical order, but I believe David in a robe as a king of righteousness, in the order of Melchizedek. And the praise and the celebration was so different to what? was going to be established later on by the Levites in the Temple of Solomon. It it was exuberant. It was prophetic. It was heartfelt worship. And David was worshipping with all of his being. And they brought this ark and they put it in this tent. Just like a canopy. And what happened was, all of Israel came before the ark and could worship before the ark. Yes, the Levites were there, but all the people were there also. They could see the ark. They could worship God in front of the ark. The ark, as you know, represents God's presence, God's power. The ark is a picture of Jesus himself, isn't it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and later on the Word was tabernacled amongst us that's the Greek word he came and tabernacled amongst us and there they were and think how different this would be to the Levitical priesthood because very soon and I know David had a heart for Solomon's temple I know that he provided the provisions I understand this and he got the provisions and God said you won't do it because you're a man of war but I also wonder if it was partly because he it, it was of a different order And while David was there, people could see the ark and worship the living God in the ark's presence. When when the temple was built, it would all change. Now, only one man, not, not a woman, but one man, one day, a year, could go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people. Once, one man, one day a year, and if he failed, he had bells on his skirts so that they knew he was still alive, and if God did not accept his priestly ministry, they had a big stick with a hook on to put in the Holy of Holies and drag him out. What a difference to when all of God's people could approach boldly the ark of God and the presence of God that all of God's people could equally minister to the Lord and praise the Lord. And chief of them was this picture of of David, the great high priest. So when we come back to the Acts of the Apostles and the, the New Testament church, and I said that in the next session I'm going to talk about our priestly ministry to God, and then we'll also look at our priestly ministry to men, we see a picture of what God wants us to be. You know, when we we worship God, we're not just singing truths, we're not just encouraging ourselves with hymns and songs and spiritual psalms and all that's wonderful. But even more importantly than that, do you know that when we sing to the Lord or when you glorify the Lord in personal prayer, do you know you are at? Actually involved in priestly ministry. You are actually ministering to the Lord. I believe that our first ministry on the earth is to the Lord. I believe in evangelism. We're going to look at all these things and our priestly ministry to one another, but our first priestly ministry is to the Lord. Now, remember when Melchizedek came out to meet. Abraham, what did he have in his hands? Bread and wine. Jesus, and the Last Supper, what did he have in his hands? Bread and wine. The breaking of bread and, and the wine. And as Melchizedek brought these things, this bread and this wine, what was this? It's funny, isn't it, actually, on an aside, when you think Abraham had been a... Successfully rescued Lot. We heard about Lot this morning at the 9 11 o'clock when R.T. preached about Lot. And Abraham rescued him, and all of a sudden he was victorious, he was successful, he was, he was the man of the hour. Not just the man of the hour in the church, he was the man of the hour in the world. And when you look, it's interesting that the king of Sodom was chasing him down. Chasing him down. It's like his meeting. With uh, Melchizedek was in between uh, the king of Sodom chasing him down. Then, thank God, maybe Melchizedek got in there first and he met with Melchizedek. And then, out of Melchizedek, the king of Sodom met him and made him an offer that he did refuse. Think about what's going on here. Melchizedek came and didn't offer him booty, didn't offer him money, didn't offer him the riches of the world, he offered him bread. And he offered him wine. It's covenant talk, isn't it? We know what that bread is. It's the body of Christ. We know what that blood is. It's the blood shed for our sins. Shed once for our sins and as fresh today as it ever was when it was first shed and as powerful as it ever was. A real body, a real blood. And he came with bread and wine. And Abraham said, I recognize you as my priest. There were many priests at that time, many gods, But Abraham said, you, king of righteousness, king of Salem, you are the priest of the God most high. Many gods, but the God most high, the one and only true God. And interestingly enough, Melchizedek gave him a name and said, Abraham of the most high. This is powerful stuff. This is what God has done for us too. And Abraham tithed. He got some bread, he got some wine. And then, zoom, in comes Sodom, the king of Sodom. He says, wow, I like, I like, I like the cut of your, your thrust. I like the way you fight, Abraham. You, you, you're a special man. I can see something's on you. There's a, there's a place for you in this world, and uh, we can do a deal. Hey, look, you give me the people, you keep, you, you, keep, you keep the wealth. Sodom was interested in because he was a man who was successful. On an aside, I believe that this is a picture that many high-profile ministers can face in their lives, especially when God pours out the blessing. When, when suddenly, if I can use a hyperbole, they've, they've got the world at their feet. The media's interested in them. People are in, Their church is perhaps growing, or their influence is growing. And now people want them, and not just the church, but they're courted and they're fated. And they come to this position where They're successful. What are they going to do? Well, I believe they have two choices. They can turn to Melchizedek, the high priest. Or they can make a deal with Sodom. And unfortunately, and who knows the pressures that such people can be under. We don't know what the pressures are. We can't judge. We don't know what we would do. But so many will give up doctrines for airspace on TV. Will change their righteousness and their peace and their message in order to please the kings of Sodom and do a deal. Whereas in that time of great success, Abraham turned to Melchizedek and instead of receiving goods from the world, he gave goods to Melchizedek. All these things are important to us because we know that in Acts chapter 2, The priests of Melchizedek, the believers, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread again in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those that were being saved. You are a priest. You are first and foremost a priest of the Most High God. It doesn't matter to me whether you're Jew or Gentile, or more importantly, it doesn't matter to God whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, master or slave, doesn't matter what race you're from or nation you're from, doesn't matter your, your high education or your no education, if you're a believer, then you are a priest on earth of God most high. And guess what? This city needs priests. You're the only priests the city of London has. I'm not talking about people with dog collars and white collars. God bless them, they may be saved, they may be not. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you and I and every believer from every denomination are first and foremost priests. You know, sometimes we we may, may speak against Roman Catholic teaching, but sometimes we just replaced the priest with the pastor, didn't we? The ministers and the laity. I mean, Even in our own movement, we have lay reps that vote at conference and ministerial. La- Do you know, you're, you're all ministers of God. There's various callings. You're all ministers of God because you're all priests. The priesthood of all believers is not just about the fact that you can walk into your father's presence by faith and the blood of Jesus anytime you want. You can walk in there. You can boldly boldly approach the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. It's as powerful on your life today as it ever will be. You have full access to God. You can go in his presence not just for you, but you can do priestly ministry in his presence. I mean, think of Jesus and how much he values the order of Melchizedek ministry. Three years' ministry on earth two thousands ministry in the Holy of Holies, living evermore for priestly intercession. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? Do you know right now he's lifting your name up before the Father? And he's got powerful intercession, because he's not coming with bull's blood, or lamb's blood, or goat's blood, He's coming with his own blood, once sacrificed for all. He's not only the great high priest. He is the lamb that was sacrificed before the slain, before the foundation of the earth. It is God's plan come come into fruition. The priest and the sacrifice together, beholding the Father. Even now as I preach to you, there are words being spoken to God most high. By the Saviour Most High. Intercession that is looking for a manifestation on the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What is that if it's not priestly intercession? The greatest prayer that you can pray. God is looking for the priesthood of all believers. He's looking for us not just to be a priesthood, but we are a kingly priesthood. Not just to make intercession. Not just to pray, not just to minister to God and to minister to man, but to be carriers of Christ's authority. Silver and gold have I none, but I carry the name of Jesus. I'm part of his priesthood. I'm part of the priesthood of Melchizedek, king of righteousness. And in these days, God is raising up the fivefold ministry. And the fivefold ministry is there to equip us for ministry. To equip us in our priesthood. And God is bringing in these days, I believe. He's restoring that tent. That old tent. Nothing spectacular. Couldn't compare to the temple of Solomon. Just a covering. It wasn't much. But the ark was there. And the people had full Access to the ark. I think God in these days is preparing Himself an end time people. I believe that He is restoring the ministry of the priesthood of all believers. I think we're only touching the surface of what this might mean. People need us. People need us. <laughs> you're their priests. You're their priests. You're, you're carriers of God's anointing when we walk with him in fellowship. The Holy Spirit, he's not in some tent or some building right now. This was Stephen's point. You know, those people in the book of Acts knew exactly what they were saying. I mean, they, 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 they had the finger on the pulse of God and nothing they said in the book of Acts was a throwaway statement. They knew exactly what was taking place. They knew exactly. James, when he said that, I mean, what an incredible thing to say. Rebuilding the tabernacle or tent of David. What a way of framing what was taking place. How he he just came out of that and summed up what was going on after Peter's testimony. And said this is the tent of David. My God. My God. You are God's tent. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us afresh in these days. That We carry the ark of the presence of God in our lives, in our words, in our actions and in our deeds. The greatest priesthood ever known. And God wants us to go out there and to do the works of Melchizedek, to be peace bringers, to be righteous bringers, righteousness bringers, to come with an authority that doesn't come from ourselves, comes from the word and is affirmed by the Spirit in our lives. We, we're going to. God wants us. I know. I know. I'm mixing things here, talking about the Levites, but God wants us to lift up the bronze serpent. You remember the story? To lift up the bronze serpent and to run into the plagued city of London, plagued with sin, plagued with unrighteousness, and to lift high just. As Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the wilderness, Jesus said, so I must be lifted up so that all men might see. And then that is linked to that verse, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life, a restoration of the purity of gospel ministry not kept in a Christian ghetto, but released into the place of satanic plague and sin disease, it'll bring healing. It'll bring in the restoration. The tent of David is being restored. Every man, woman, and child in the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek has a calling wherever you're placed, whatever career God puts you in, wherever neighborhood you're in, You are the priest of God. You you are the caretaker of the precious gospel that has power to save. We're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It's the only thing that can turn things around. And you have it. You're carriers of it. Next week, we're going to look at that aspect of ministry. What does it mean to be a priest to God? How do we minister to God? Well, God bless you all today.